Please turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. We are continuing our study of what's called ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, the teaching of the church. We had talked about last week of Christ being the builder of His church. That Christ is the one who has built His church from the very beginning. From the very beginning, with starting with Adam and Eve, that God has always had His people. Now you had the nation of Israel, of course, which was the Old Testament church. You had, of course, it, uh, the church in its infancy, or immaturity in a sense. But even in the midst of an entire nation that were chosen by God, there were those that were, of course, truly saved within that nation. The saints that we read of in Hebrews chapter 11, for example. These were saved by the blood of Christ, though He had not come yet. They were indeed the people of God in the Old Testament. They were the saints. They were the church. We looked at how in the book of Acts that the word ecclesia, ecclesia rather, is used in regards to the church of the Old Testament. It calls them the ecclesia. And Christ is indeed the builder. He is the one who has from the beginning again built His church. He is the one who died for the church. He is the one that brings those that He died for within the church by the Holy Spirit. Today, I would like us to look at this passage here in 1 Peter chapter 2, which helps us to understand our status as those who are in the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Remember that word ecclesia, it's a compound word, ek meaning out, and kaleo meaning to call. The called out ones. That's who is in reference here. My hope as we work our way through this and then and in the coming sermons uh, in the next couple of weeks, that we would truly see, as Spurgeon said, that the church is the dearest place on earth. It is a privilege to be part of the church, in the church, among the saints, in worship, it is indeed a privilege. And our status before the Lord is one of such grace and mercy that we should delight in being in and loving that which Christ Himself loved so much. Here in 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to read verses 12, or excuse me, 1 to 12. We're going to focus in on the last part of, of this section here, but to put it all in context, we'll read the first 12 verses in 1 Peter 2. If you are able, please stand for the reading of God's Word. Dear friends, this is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible Word of the living God. And let us hear the Word of the living God. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babies long for the pure milk of the Word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. And coming to Him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God, 
you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. So that by so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once for you once were a people, not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. So that in the thing which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's pray together. Gracious God, we acknowledge this day that we are totally dependent upon you to understand this portion of your word and to apply it to our daily lives. To let the joy of your salvation grow in our hearts as we recognize the status that we have now before a holy God on account of what Christ has done for us. I pray for all of us here that you would illuminate this text in our hearts. Draw us ever closer to you. Let us fix our gaze upon the most holy God who is sovereign over all and who has brought us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That we may give you the praise of our lips even more. To praise you for who you are and all the perfection of your being and to give you praise because of what you have done for us and what you have made us in Christ. Father, work within us a mighty work that we would grow to love even more what Christ loved so much that He died for. Bless the preaching of Your Word and may it accomplish all You desire in us. For in Jesus' name we pray and all of God's children say, Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> In Peter's first epistle, just to give a little bit of context here, his epistle opens up in chapter 1, verse 1, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who reside as aliens scattered through Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sanctifying work of the Spirit to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with His blood, May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. He is writing to those believers who are scattered across Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. He is he is writing to them to encourage them for what is yet to come, for the persecution that they are enduring at present, but then for the persecution that is getting ready to occur as well, to stand firm, to remind them of who they are, remind them of what Christ has done for them, that they would be encouraged in the time of their suffering, and that they would not see their suffering as something strange that happened to them, but to understand that it was for the testing of their faith 
that their faith would grow, that they would become more dependent upon their Lord Jesus Christ who loved them so much that He died for them. Chapter 2, following, really incorporates much of the, the bulk of Peter, his first epistle here, the body of his epistle, where he begins in this section of encouraging them, of exhorting them, of putting aside all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander and long for the pure milk of the Word. Long for the pure understanding of of the truth of God. Long for it. Desire it. Seek after it. To grow in all respects to salvation. And he says, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. For those that have indeed tasted of the kindness of the Lord and had a uh, just a glimpse of what His grace is truly about, that we cannot help but long for it even more and desire it and to seek after to know the One who saved us. To grow in our respect to salvation. To grow to understand what it is. What has Christ done? What is our salvation encompassing? And we have a wonderful description of what He has made us in the early verses here. And coming to Him as to a living stone which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. And this is important to understand that Christ is precious in the sight of God. When you read of this wonderful prayer in John 17 where Jesus is praying to the Father, You love Me from the very beginning. You love Me from eternity. You love Me before the foundation of the world. What love that the Father has for the Son. And He is precious in His sight. And He says, You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We talked about this last week. Some of the names that are given for the church to reference the church. A spiritual house is being built up. The same language is used elsewhere as we read of Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone and that, we're, that the church is being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Himself being the chief cornerstone. We are a spiritual house. We are the temple of God. A place in which God dwells collectively. That has some benefits to it, no doubt. We'll get to that in a moment. You are a spiritual house for a holy priesthood. Offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. There was a place in which none could go before except the high priest. And that was the Holy of Holies. In the temple, in the tabernacle. And because of the work of our Lord Jesus and His full redemption that He accomplished on the cross, the veil was torn and the place into the Holy of Holies was made open for all who believed. That we no longer have a human mediator, but now we have been brought near by the blood of Christ that we can come boldly before the throne of God and offer up spiritual sacrifices. He goes on here as he describes Christ to those who are His. What Christ is to those who reject. He is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. He says, For they stumble because they are disobedient to the Word, and to this doom they were also appointed. 
and he's getting ready then to contrast the believer's position and the believer's status versus those who are disobedient and reject. What is some of the things that he says here? So we need to really digest. We need to really ponder on this. Meditate on it. What is it that Peter is referring to the people of God as? Because what these descriptions here are grounded within the Old Testament of the people of God in the Old Testament. You know, we talk about this a lot. Most people have no trouble saying that Israel was the chosen people of God. That He chose them out of all the nations of the earth. Most people don't have a, a difficulty saying that. But when you take that kind of language that is applied to the people of Israel and you apply it now to the people of God, the church, everybody has a big problem with that. But here's what the Apostle Peter is saying. He's using the language of these wonderful things that God is saying of His people in the Old Testament now to apply it to you. The people of God. Jews and Gentiles alike. The first thing that the Apostle Peter says here is that you are a chosen race. You. This is what he's telling his readers. Reminding them in their time of suffering and in their time of persecution. He's saying, and even in light of what is happening here, remember. Remember who you are in, in the eyes of God. You are a chosen race. This term race, genos, refers to a people descended from a common lineage. In the case of the people of Israel, of course, it was Abraham. But it's then applied to the New Testament people of God. It, it is grounded in what the Lord says in Isaiah chapter 43. <clears throat> verse 20. The beast of the field will glorify Me. The jackals and the ostriches, because I have given waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give, to give drink to my chosen people. The people whom I formed for myself will declare my praise. And this language is going to be in First Peter 2 here in just a few moments. That what Peter is saying was true of the Old Testament people of God, but is now true of the New Testament people of God. Jews and Gentiles alike. You are a chosen race. You've been handpicked by God to be part of this wonderful thing called the body of Christ. This priesthood of believers. This spiritual house. This new Jerusalem. The city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. In Christ, you have been handpicked to be transferred from the kingdom of darkness to His beloved Son. The kingdom of His Son. You are a chosen race. A chosen people. This is very reminiscent, of course, of what we read in Ephesians chapter 1 as the Apostle Paul is writing to the church of Ephesus and he gives this amazing, wonderful doxology there at the beginning. It's like you can't wait to say it. These are the spiritual blessings that we have all received in Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to Himself according to the kind intention of His will. Now many would interpret this to say, well, that means He's chosen the means. He's chosen 
to predestine those that accept Christ, to predestine them to these blessings. That is not what he's saying. He's not saying I predestined the blessings. He's saying that God has predestined you, people, to be part of the body of Christ. Just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, in love He predestined us unto adoption. This is true of every believer. If you are here and you are indeed genuinely converted, this is because before the foundation of the world, God had handpicked you that you are coming with Me. You are Mine. You are going to be My possession. You are going to be the apple of My eye. This is true of all who are Christ. In spite of ourselves. In spite of the way that we feel often. In spite of the things that we do. In spite of the sins that we commit. And the actions that we perform. That are just sinful. In spite of ourselves. God handpicked us. To be part of the bride. Of His Son. You are a chosen people. How amazing is that to even consider? Because as we have talked about before, what, what then does that imply? That if you were chosen by the Father before the foundation of the world to be His Son, then that means that when Christ died, that He died a real death for sin for you. That He truly paid your penalty on the cross for all the things that you have done, all the things that you will do, all the things that you'll say and the actions that you will do, He paid the penalty in full. Because that's the love of God being shown to us sinners. He has made us one in Christ. You're not just chosen individually. You are, but then you are made part of something much bigger than ourselves. You are the chosen people. You are the called out ones. You are the chosen assembly. The chosen congregation. He goes on. He says, you are a royal priesthood. A royal priesthood. You're not just a priesthood. You're in the royal line because you have been adopted by the king. These are some of the blessings that we have received that we just read in Ephesians chapter 1. That in love He predestined us unto adoption. That means that now, on account of Christ, on account of His predestining you and Christ dying for you, that you are now truly adopted into the family of God, whereby you may call Him Abba, Daddy. The Apostle Paul references that too in Romans chapter 8. Whereby we may cry out, Abba, Father. You are now in the royal line. You are heirs and joint heirs with Christ. What an encouragement that this would be for the people of God here who are enduring such suffering. To remember of what God has made you in Christ. You are a chosen people. You are of the royal line. You are of the royal priesthood. 
the veil is being torn. The entrance is now open to all. And now, now, all can come boldly before the throne of God. All have direct access to God. You need no more human mediators to, to mediate God's presence for you or mediate God's law for you. You don't need any of that any longer because the way into the Holy of Holies has been made open for all. You have been made kings and priests as the Apostle John says in Revelation chapter 1. Again, this is Old Testament language. This is what the Lord said of the people Israel in the Old Testament. In Exodus chapter 19, Beginning in verse 5. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. That language is now applied to you and me. It was applied to the New Testament believers that the Apostle Peter is writing to in Asia Minor. And it is true of all believers thereafter. This is what Luther would talk about of the priesthood of believers. That every believer is indeed a priest and able to minister to others within the body of Christ. You need not special people to do this. For all of us have been called for this very purpose. Each of us have gifts that the Lord has, has gifted us with, equipped us with, that we can minister to the others within the body of Christ, whether it's simply praying for them or trying to encourage them or using your gifts in other ways. You can edify the body of Christ, and in doing so, you are ministering to the body of Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood. Every individual has direct access to God and the responsibility of ministering to other members of the community of believers. What then should that mean for us and imply for us that if God has gifted you with that ability to speak, to sing, pray, to serve, that the body of Christ should be edified and be built up by and ministered to by you performing what God has appointed you to do. That is demonstrating what love that you would have for the people of God as Christ Himself has love for them. We ought to love the body that much that we would desire to minister to each other and to love one another in that way. To fulfill our status as priests and kings for our God. A lot of times people like to just come to be ministered to. They don't want to take the time away from themselves in order to reach out to others. Interestingly, many people like to come and to sit as an empty jar and wait for whoever's up here to fill it. 
it's not the way it should be. You should be coming into this place not only to hear the Word of God and to, to rejoice in the Word of God and to praise Him for all that He's done in song and in prayer, but you should also come to this place already filled with the knowledge of God that your praise will be even greater and higher as you sing unto Him and pray unto Him and that the knowledge that you have will be useful to somebody else within the body that you would be able to help them and to encourage them minister to them. For we all need that. He not only says that you are a chosen people and understand this in the same way that He says to the people of Israel in Deuteronomy chapter 7, I didn't choose you because you were greater than all the other nations. I didn't choose you for any of that. I chose you and chose to put my love upon you on account of what I promised your forefathers. So in light of that, what does it mean for us that He has chosen us again, that He's chosen us in spite of ourselves? He's chosen us not because we were smarter than somebody else that we would believe the Gospel. He didn't choose us because of any supposed talent that we have. We were just regular folks. He chose us simply because He wanted to. For no other reason than He wanted to and that He would glorify Himself in you by doing so. You are a royal priesthood. And you are a holy nation. Holy. What does it mean? Remember we talked about holiness. We talked about the holiness of God. That for God to be holy... It has the idea of, of splitting something, of cutting something into two pieces. God is a cut above us. He is unique. He's in His own category. He is nothing like us. People say sometimes that to be created in the image of God means that we, we look like God or whatever. No. God doesn't have a body of flesh and bone. God doesn't have any limbs. He's not physical as we are. He is absolute perfection in every aspect of His being. He's not limited by physical space. He fills all. as He is omnipresent. He is indeed holy. And on account of our placing faith in Christ, He has then made us to be in the Holy One. For Christ is holy. It's amazing when you think of how Isaiah uses that language in his book. He is the Holy One of Israel. And now, you and I have been made to be in the Son. His, his blood has cleansed, cleansed our sins. He has taken the full wrath of God and He has justified us in the sight of God on account of all that He has done. He gave His life to the utmost to save us and to set us apart as holy in the eyes of God. Your status before God is that indeed you are holy to the Lord. That's why when the scripture talks about saints and the apostle Peter, he, or excuse me, the apostle Paul uses that a lot to the saints who are in Colossae, to the saints who are in Philippi or Rome, that you are indeed a saint. It means a holy one. 
because you have been taken from among the common and now you've been set apart by God to be for His holy use. You are holy in the sight of God. You have been set apart by God for Himself. And this designation reinforces the concept of obedience and sanctification for the people of God. If you're a holy nation, you've been set apart as holy, and you practice holiness in your life. We're talking about holiness and godliness and righteousness being played out within your individual lives. To do what is right in the sight of God. To live a life that is pleasing to Him. To obey Christ Jesus. We don't like to hear that word. Obey. I'm looking out for number one. I'm the master of my own life. We say silly stuff like that all the time. But as we'll see here, that we've been made to be the possession of God because you've been bought with a price and you are not your own any longer. We think of obedience perhaps as, as, as a burden. Man, I gotta keep all these rules and regulations. It is a joyful thing to walk in obedience to God. You know why? Because apart from being saved and converted and placed into the body of Christ, you couldn't please God if you wanted to. Apart from the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. You wouldn't want to. That's why when you see all the nations in the Old Testament, even the nations now, they have no knowledge of God. And for those that do hold some type of an idolatrous view of God, they're constantly guessing on what it is that God wants, how it is that we're going to please God. That's why you see so many pagan religions within the Old Testament that are trying to give human sacrifices in order to appease the wrath of their God or whatever the case may be. They don't know what He wants. They don't know how to obey Him. But our God has not left us in the darkness as those. And that's the difference of what those He's writing to in the midst of being in the pagan societies that are going on with all of these pagan rituals and idolatrous rituals that God has disclosed to you exactly how He wants you to be and how He wants you to conduct your life. He has made these things known to you. There is no guessing. He's made it known to you because God has truly revealed Himself in Scripture and in the person of Jesus Christ that we can know what He desires of us, know what He wants from us, and then delight in performing it in view of all that He's done. But our hearts have to be changed and 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 grown in, in sanctification for us to, to see those things, see those truths and experience those realities. That it is pleasing. It is a rejoicing thing to obey God in light of His, His living for us and dying for us and His mediating work for us and bringing us into the family of God and making peace with God and us no longer to be under His wrath, but now to know the peace and the love of God. This, these, these things that Christ has done for us, 
And in view of that, you see the, the love of God put on display for you on how much that He truly loves you and to what extent He would go in order to demonstrate that love by sending His only begotten Son into the world to pay your penalty. So then when you begin to think of all these things, you begin to think, wow, God has truly demonstrated this love to us, that we are indeed precious in His sight, and that He only desires the best for us. And then our hearts are changed to desire even more. Because the thing is, when you look back at the law of God, when you look back in the Old Testament and you see the law of God and, and the things that are written, some things are specifically for the nation, to govern the nation. Some things are specifically for the ceremonial law. But then you have the moral law, which is, all these things are built on the Ten Commandments, by the way. You can take every other law and you can build it upon these ten. When you go back and you see what God has written and what He requires of man, you don't do these things because you're trying to gain favor with God. You know that well, to do this is pleasing in the sight of God because this is an expression of His holiness and this is what He desires of the people. So I'm going to perform this in order to demonstrate my love and appreciation back to Him. I want Him to know how much that I am so grateful for His salvation and grateful for His grace and mercy in my life. Let me perform these things out of a love, not out of a duty, but out of a love for God. I love what John Piper said. He said, in regards to obedience, he said, if I was to come to my wife on Valentine's Day or our anniversary, and I knocked on the door and she answered the phone, or she answered the door and I had uh, some chocolates here and I had some flowers, and I said, you know, I, I got these for you. She says, well, thank you, John. Why did you do that? Out of duty. How's that going to make her feel? But he said, if I were to take these things, and then she asked me, well, thank you, John. Why did you do that? Because I love you. That changes the whole thing, doesn't it? We are a holy nation, a nation of believers that is, that is set apart by God. And the moral quality of believers as a result of this is being emphasized here. Christ is the Holy One. You are in Christ. You belong to Christ. And the Holy Spirit is at work in you to make you more holy. How do you do that? How do you become more holy? Or rather, how do you practice holiness in your life? We do what is written. We learn even more see the grandeur and the majesty of God put on display with our eyes of faith. And He grows within our, our vision. And our hearts grow as well in our love for Him. To do what is right. And to learn even more of who He is. It means we have to look to His Word. It means we come within the body of believers to love as Christ loves and to love what God loves. For worship, to set aside our time for worship and to praise the God of our salvation. Well, the Scripture tells us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for His good pleasure. 
that the Spirit of God in conjunction with the Word of God is working in you to change you and to make you more Christ-like. And as He works within you to do these things, you manifest it on the outside. Talking about your position before God and practicing these things in your life. F.F. Bruce says, put into practice what the calling of God has made you. The Lord says, be holy, for I am holy. You are a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. A people for God's own possession. You are God's special possession. You, individually and collectively as the body. You are God's special possession. The apple of His eye. You are so special to God that Christ gave His life for you. Christ endured a horrendous beating. He endured a torturous death. But even worse, when anything felt humanly within Him, by the hands of men, far greater was the wrath of God poured out upon him. The very thing that unbelievers experience in hell under the wrath of God is the very thing that he experienced on the cross. The innocent one. The unblemished, spotless Lamb of God hung between heaven and earth and the wrath of His Father being poured out upon Him. The sins He never committed. The things He never said. The things He never done. The lies that He never told. The Father poured out His intense wrath and hatred of sin upon the Son that He loved. The Son that was precious to Him Son that He loved from all eternity. And what is it that our Lord says? Hey, finish. You were bought with a price. Not by gold and silver and precious stones, but by the spotless blood of the Lamb. You were purchased. You were purchased from the marketplace of sin. As we talked about before, you think of, you think of Hosea. You think of in chapter three, where his wife is now taken to be a slave. And the Lord says to Hosea, go and purchase your wife. Go get her back. And so at the time, whenever they would auction off slaves, where they, they would have them up there and they would be naked. And you have, so many people trying to bid on this one or bid on that one. And Hosea is ordered by the Lord, go and purchase your wife. And so Hosea, he goes into the midst of the crowd and you can imagine what shame that he is enduring as people are looking and snickering in him that that's his wife. And he goes and he purchases his wife. Enduring all the shame. Things are up. He clothes her and he says, you're mine. And that is a beautiful, beautiful example of what Christ has done. That He waded through the marketplace of sin, enduring all the shame. And He bought you 
and he cleansed you with his blood. And he put a white robe on you. A festal robe that we read of in Zechariah 3. Take off his dirty robe and put a festal robe on him. Because now you're clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And now you're healed. Which as we talked about last week, as the hymn says, I am his and he is mine. You are his own possession. <clears throat> his own possession that he loved and that he made the objects of his love. He, he says here that you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. It's what it is to be His own possession, now you're His. Whereas before, you were under the wrath of God and under the justice of God, and now He extended mercy to you, withholding His justice from you. And instead of justice, He offers grace. Simply because He chose to. Whether we're Jew or Gentile, we were once not a people, but now we have been made the people of God. To be sons and daughters of the King. To be heirs and joint heirs with the Holy One. Not only to inherit a beautiful paradise heaven, but to be able to stand before the One who died for us and to rejoice before Him and He to delight in us. For what purpose? You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You were once not a people, but now you've been made the people of God. You once were under justice and weren't receiving mercy, but now you have received mercy. And the purpose here, back in the latter part of verse 9, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who has called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. You know, when you think of the, the position and status of Israel in the Old Testament, Israel was to be a mediator between God and the nations. To proclaim the excellencies of God to the nations. And this has been given over to the people of God here. You were saved, transferred from the kingdom of darkness into His marvelous light. You were made the people of God. You are now objects of the Father's love. You are His own possession. You've been made part of the bride that you may proclaim the excellencies of our Lord. To make known what God has done in Christ. His mercy, His grace, His splendor, His majesty, His altogether excellent character and mighty act. When was the last time that you proclaimed the goodness of God to anyone? When was the last time that you went to a lost friend or a lost family member and you, you pleaded with them, be reconciled to God? You know, one problem that we have sometimes is where we are Calvinists. We are those who believe in Reformed theology or adhere to Reformed theology. We believe in the sovereignty of God and salvation. But the thing that we find within Scripture, sometimes we don't practice. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, I, I beg you, on behalf of God, be reconciled to Christ. 
There's a pleading there. Not a manipulation. But there is a pleading before those that are not God's. That you may plead with them. To say, you are in darkness. Know the Lord. Be reconciled to Him. Believe upon the Lord Jesus. We have difficulty saying those things. But we shouldn't. We shouldn't have difficulty in those things. Because we are called to preach the Gospel to every creature. To every person. To proclaim the excellencies of our Lord. Let them see God in all His perfection. Let let them see God in you as you are demonstrating not only by what you're saying, but by the truth of your profession. They can see it. They can know that God has done a work within your life. You're not just saying words, but that your life is a demonstration of these things. And will we fail? Yes, we will fail. We will fail often. We will say the wrong things. We will do the wrong things. Sometimes even in our evangelism, we'll say the wrong things. But just because we fail doesn't mean that we give ourselves over to just quitting and stopping. Just because we are rejected by men does not mean that we just somehow just stop and say, I'm done. They said this to me or they said that to me. You think of the people in their day as Peter is writing this epistle, you think for one moment in spite of all the persecution and suffering that they endured that they said, we're no longer going to tell people about Christ. No, they said we are going to tell people about Christ because this life is not the end. There is eternity after. And out of our love for our human being, out of our love for our fellow man, out of our love for our people, our friends, our family, we are going to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of darkness into his marvelous life. This is this is the purpose. One of the purposes. We could sum up the whole purpose of why God has saved us first and foremost to glorify him. But first and foremost, that God will be glorified. How does that play out in our lives? Our obedience, our evangelism, our worship, our studying of the Scriptures, our praying, all of these things and more we can glorify God with, but we must be faithful in doing that. Jesus said, let men see your good works. Glorify your Father in heaven. Proclaim the excellencies of your God. Of our God. Let them understand His mighty act. Tell them, please read them a song. Tell them of His redemption. Tell them of His mighty acts that He has done before within the Old Testament. Tell them of His mighty power of how He delivered the people of the Old Testament but delivered you the news. Tell him of his mighty power and knowledge in the creation of the world. These things we find all through the Psalms. Tell them of the excellencies of our God. Perform what it is that we are to do in light of the status that we hold before God. You are a chosen race. 
a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own possession. Let us sin. And tell others of the excellencies of God that they too may experience these realities. Let's pray together. Gracious God and our Father, we thank you that you saved us in spite of ourselves. We thank you that your mercies are new every morning and great is your faithfulness. We thank you that in Christ, when we sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We thank you that in light of all that Christ has done for us in bringing us near to God, we have the privilege of telling others of who you are. What a merciful and gracious God that you are. Of telling others of the wrath to come. Proclaiming your truth. Father, let us not waver in that. Give us confidence and boldness. Being resolved in, in doing what we ought to in our individual lives and in the life of ministry. Father, work a mighty work within our hearts and, and use us for your glory and for your purposes. Our Lord Jesus says to the disciples, Come and I will make you fishers of men. Father, we desire to be fishers of men. We desire, Father, that we would be used to bring others into the kingdom. We would be used to help those that are in the kingdom to grow and to minister to them. We would be used ultimately for your glory in your life. Thank you for this gift of salvation. Thank you for the status that we hold before you as the church, as the people of God, as the symbols. Let us understand that to be part of this is indeed the dearest place on earth. Let us love the church as Christ loved the church. Father, be glorified in us. In Jesus' name we pray. All we got children say.